Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. Today, I'm talking with Matt Ream. I really enjoyed talking with Matt today. I have known him for a long time. Maybe it wasn't a long time, though. It's probably been about two years, which does feel like a while to me. But when we first met, I was really starting to get serious in the game. I was thinking more about my playing and more about coaching and more about officiating. And there's just so much happening at once. I remember him being very open to every question I had. And and we would just talk and we had some great conversations. Today, we talk a lot about grassroots coaching and how important grassroots soccer is in general. And how important it is that we coach and fuel these teams and players and coaches so then they can make the better the next generation better we also talk about supporting those in your community we talk about instead of turning on the tv and watching a game go walk a little bit or drive to a local game a local club or a team maybe a collegiate team just support those in your community i hope you enjoy today's episode Today's guest is Matt Ream. Matt has coached at many different places throughout his journey. He was an assistant coach at Wisconsin Lutheran College. Matt was the director of operations at Drake University and also spent about four years with Sporting Iowa. He is now an ODP coach, the academy director at Des Moines Soccer Club, and he is also a founding member and assistant coach of Des Moines Wanderers FC and also the head coach at Roosevelt High School. Matt, I'm wondering if you'd like to add anything else or talk about what got you to where you are today. Um, yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Really appreciate the invitation and, um, you know, joining uh, a long list of, of really esteemed guests that you've had over the you know, past couple of years. Um, so thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm currently uh, at Des Moines Soccer Club. Um, and I'm actually also, I have kind of a dual role as academy director. And then um, in January, I also became sort of the club director, which that's the official title is club director, kind of managing the day-to-day stuff in the club uh, overall. And then, yeah, I'm at Roosevelt High School, where I've been for probably about five years now, uh, first as, as an assistant and as a head coach. And then I suppose this might be a good time uh, to mention that uh, i I'm the former founding member of Des Moines Wanderers FC, or I guess I'm still the founding member, but we're not currently running our operations um, right now. So, um, but yeah, thank you for having me. As you know, on this podcast, I always start with the same three questions. First, what does the beautiful game mean to you? Well, the beautiful game to me is, um, is an avenue for, people of all sorts of different backgrounds to come together and enjoy a shared passion uh, for a a sport and activity, you know, some might call it a lifestyle or, you know, cultural, uh, you know, ingrained, culturally ingrained in society, in many societies. Um, It's just, it's a great way to, uh, to break down barriers, uh, reach across divides and learn more about other people. What are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? So, yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about that a little bit before we, we started here, um, you know, and, and my mind really goes back to 
uh, soccer at its purest form is a ball. You know, um, anyone who wants to play maybe a couple of goals, they don't have to be real goals. They could be shoes. They could be cones. They could be, you know, a trash can, what, what have you. Um, and what I've tried to do in the last year, I've coached um, a lot of different levels. You know, at Roosevelt, it's very much about winning, which, you know, is it is what it is at the high school level. Um, but the purest form of the sport to me has been watching. Uh, I have two daughters who are seven and five, and it's been watching them experience the game for the first time um, and kind of helping to guide that process and, and reminding myself, you know, day in, day out that, you know, this is their first experience and it should be about them and, and not about um, not about what, what parents or adults want. And so, you know, I've, I've really found a lot of joy uh, working with those younger uh, entry-level recreational players, uh, you know, my daughters and, and her, you know, cohort. Um, and, and that's kind of brought, um, brought a lot of enjoyment of the game back to me. And there was a period of time where I was not really happy uh, coaching and, and, you know, I considered walking away from, from, from the sport in that, you know, in the role that I've, I've had for basically my entire adult life. And this has kind of pushed that reset button for me. Um, and, you know, not just through my kids, but the kids that, that they're around, you know, seeing the first time a kid scores a goal or, you know, does something successful, you know, that's, it's exciting for me um, because, you know, maybe that kid couldn't do that, that thing three weeks ago. Right. And they've changed so fast. And, you know, we have, there's, there's a kid I've coached for the last year uh, on my younger daughter's team who the first time he showed up for a game, um, he didn't even want to go on the field. And, you know, he was holding on to his dad and, you know, then it progressed to, he just would stand in front of the goal. And then, you know, at the end of our last uh, spring season, you know, he had a couple successful dribbles down the field and played a good pass to another friend, you know, to, to score a goal. And, and that made me really, really happy. So that, long way around it's it's uh it's watching the joy of the kids um that are partaking in that sport that that really helps me keep things in perspective how do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful well um you know you and i both know through you know maybe a couple of shared experiences that uh adults around the game sometimes make it less enjoyable for those that are participating or or otherwise involved. And, you know, one thing that at least at our club and, and even at the high school level that I've tried to really reinforce, and, and I have to remind myself of this sometimes too, um, is, is that it, it, at the end of the day, it's a game and everyone has a role in that game. And by acting in an appropriate way, you can improve the experience for all, right? So one example would be, you know, how you interact with, with referees, right? With, with officials. And, you know, a lot of times you'll see coaches that in the moment forget where they're at and, and, you know, forget the level that they're playing or coaching at. And, you know, all of a sudden one maybe miss call, I say maybe because it's all about perspective, um, you know, becomes life or death and, you know, oh, this is the worst thing ever. And sometimes we just have to take a deep breath and take a step back and remember that, you know, these are kids uh, playing the sport for enjoyment. Um, you know, one single moment in a game that has so many different actions and, 
um, you, you know, other, other moments that can be controlled doesn't make or break the experience. And, you know, being a good role model um, to those, to young, young players is really important. And, you know, we, we just, sometimes we just have to take a deep breath and, and take a step back. And, and I tried to model that behavior for, uh, for everybody that, you know, I'm working with and, and, and also the coaches that I work with at, at the club, right? We have, we have the Academy program. Um, and I've, I've had to have a couple conversations with coaches like, Hey, listen, you know, we're not here to yell at the ref, you know, we're here to, to play and, and to, you know, experience the game and to improve and develop and, um, you know, that, that, that type of behavior doesn't, doesn't have a place in, in our program. So. I want to start off by taking it all the way back. Can you talk about how you first got involved in soccer? So <clears throat> I grew up in California um, and I was born in San Francisco and I spent um, seven years there. And then my dad got a job in Miami, Florida um, for two years. And my first memory of anything soccer related whatsoever was right when we were about to move uh, from San Francisco to Miami, I saw a kid in my class uh, juggling a ball, right? So he would have been a first grader and he was kicking the ball around. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. We moved to Miami and I don't know how I, how I got involved, but someone at some point said, you're going to play soccer. So I played soccer in Miami for the, the YMCA program. Right. And I, I have no idea how, how good or bad that, that program was. It was, you know, we're out in the field. I, if I remember correctly, I, you know, I was eight and I think we were even playing maybe 11 v 11 at the time, or I, I don't remember exactly, but there were a lot of kids on the field. Right. So, you know, I didn't progress as a player very, very well. Um, I think my dad at the time, I remember him being sort of frustrated with the experience and talking about how the coach didn't know what he was doing. And I was like, I don't know, I'm having fun. Um, so then my parents actually split up and I moved back to California with my mom uh, to Davis, California, which I, I don't know if you've heard of Davis, California. It's a small university town, probably the best um, comparable area here in, in Iowa would be like Ames, maybe with, you know, Iowa State, um, you know, just outside of Sacramento, Ames is just outside Des Moines. And for whatever reason, soccer was huge in Davis. So I started playing, you know, I kept playing, I guess. And, you know, I played on some AYSO teams that were there and I didn't really take it seriously. I played a little like roller hockey and some other sports too, a little basketball, one season of little league, did not like it too much standing. Um, and as, as I grew, you know, older and grew bigger and grew into my body, I started to kind of, you know, get used to movement a little bit more. And I started to have a little more success at kind of lower levels of soccer. And uh, by the time I reached high school, I thought maybe it was something that I wanted to do, uh, more seriously. And, you know, it, it took me probably till the end of high school to kind of crack into a competitive environment. Um, so by the time I hit college, I didn't play anywhere because I didn't really, it wasn't on my radar and I wasn't on anybody else's radar. Um, so I ended up playing in local men's leagues um, and local co-ed leagues in, in college, which was a really good experience. I met my wife uh, who played at Drake. Um, she was in Davis for law school and I met her on a co-ed soccer team. And, you know, there were a number of other people that met their partners, future partners uh, on that same team. So it was a really positive experience for me. Uh, but I also started to coach. So one of my former coaches, who was the dad of a 
uh, a kid I grew up with, um, you know, he was a really good influence in my life. And uh, he asked me, I was about 18, 19. He said, hey, do you want to help me out? Uh, I'm going to coach this U12 team. And I said, yeah, sure. And it was hard. I, I had no idea how to coach. I didn't, it was you know, crazy to me how to manage kids. I, they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't, you know, do what I wanted them to do. And it was really frustrating, right? So I was like, well, I don't think I'm any good at this. Uh, maybe I need to coach older kids. And I started to do some licenses too. Um, so my brother, who's about three years younger than me, was on a team. And I decided I would be the assistant coach. And so I was kind of the assistant coach for his team for a couple of years. And then towards the end, right before I moved away, I was the head coach. And it was really fun experience, although my brother and I butted heads quite a bit. But during that process, taking some of the coaching education, um, some of the licenses, you know, I was getting coaching magazines in the mail that were showing me like training sessions and activities and stuff. And I really loved it. And I thought maybe this is something I could do. So my plan was to coach in college at some point. That was my goal. And I, I read that, you know, you need a master's degree to, to coach in college. So after I was done with, with undergrad, I followed my, my wife, who was you know, just my girlfriend at the time, to Southern California for her job. And I got into Cal State Long Beach um, to get my master's. And I started helping out at the college level and coaching club soccer. And to be honest, I had no idea what I was doing there either. And it took a long time and a lot of trial and error and a lot of good environments and some bad environments to figure out, you know, hey, I, I think I might know what I'm doing. Um, but I also recognize that no one ever really ends up perfect, you know, and I don't have all the answers, but I can still find answers and I can still do what I think is, is best. And it's, it's become, you know, it's become a career for me. I coached, you know, we moved to Wisconsin after that and I coached uh, for a couple of clubs there and at the college level. And then when I moved here, I tried to coach at the college level a little bit, but it was hard to balance with club. And then in the end, I decided that it was more rewarding to work with younger people and younger players because a, you can coach them year round, you know, college is just a couple months a year and B you see growth and improvement so much quicker in younger people than you do in the college age kids who probably at that point are pretty established in, in what they're going to be. So that's a long story, but that's, that's how I'm where I'm at today. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit about why you still coach at the club level and why that's so important to you, but you kind of already answered that. Why is it still so important that we focus on the grassroots soccer level? Well, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's good to share the game, right? So when I first started coaching, I wanted to be around the game. And, um, you know, but I was also trying to play still, right? It was, it was okay, I can coach and I can be around the game more than just if I play on a team. Um, and I had a couple of knee injuries and surgeries. And I'm, you know, I haven't played uh, a couple of days ago, I think it was Facebook reminded me that 11 years ago was my last knee surgery, which means that's the last time I played at a high level uh, or could play at a high level. Uh, it was actually on the same day that Landon Donovan scored uh, the game winner against Algeria in the, in the uh, third group game uh, in the 2010 world cup to send them um, to the court or to the round of 16. So um, I watched that game at 7 a.m. And I was in surgery at 1 p at 1 p.m. that day. Um, but club soccer is, I think if you do it right, you can, you can provide environments and opportunities for so many more kids to play the game and experience the game. Um, you know, what we've tried to do at our club is, is really focus on 
<clears throat> on a recreational base. You know, we had 700 or so kids in the spring, um, but about probably 500 of those were rec, you know, rec, quote, rec kids, you know, and, and 400 were under the age of, of eight. And that's, you know, that's, that's the, the prime experience, right? That's the entry level experience. Um, and that's important because if it, if it's a good experience, then these kids may grow up and, and love the game or learn to love the game as much as I have. And as much as, you know, so many great people I've met throughout the years have, um, and it's just, it's like sharing something you're proud of or sharing something you're happy about, you know, you want to tell other people and you want other people to, to share in that experience with you. Right. So, um, that's, I mean, that's been important to me and, and that's, I think, you know, it starts at those youngest ages and, and slowly works its way up. What can we do to continue to educate more grassroots coaches? Well, you know, I, I really like how uh, Iowa soccer and I'm assuming other state associations um, have made that entry level grassroots uh, coaches course accessible um, or they, they, they have, but there's still some, some areas that they can improve. Right. So it's accessible because it's free. It's hard though, because it's hard to get those scheduled and we don't have enough, uh, you know, coaching instructors, I think, I mean, you know, I'm not really sure, but if, if we did it right, I think we'd be able to have one of those courses in every small community, you know, year round and reach more people. Um, and that's, that's one part of it. The other part of it is collaboration. So, you know, trying to find a way to work with other clubs and other people in the community to make, um, to, to create opportunities for kids to play and, and make it a positive experience. Um, and, you know, then the, the other part I think would be kind of cultural. So, you know, right now in Iowa, I see a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Hawkeye fans, a lot of Cyclone fans, and, you know, there's football in the fall, there's basketball in the winter, there's, you know, I, I don't know what really in the spring. Um, but it's, you know, that's that's the culture, right? It's, um, we'll go play soccer on the weekend, on a Saturday, and then Saturday night, we're watching college football, right? And, you know, like right now, it's really cool because um, we have the Euros that are on TV. There's the Copa America. Uh, the women are going to play in the Olympics. Um, well, soon. I'm not exactly sure when that kicks off. Uh, the men have the, the U.S. men have the Gold Cup coming up. I mean, there's so much soccer on right now. And, you know, it's accessible. I have, um, I went to Nebraska last weekend with my wife and, and our kids uh, to visit her brother who, who lives out in Kearney and coaches uh, football. And his kids are all about football, but they're playing in a soccer tournament. And all they wanted to do uh, was a, they wanted me to come because they know I coach soccer and they were like asking me questions about soccer and it was, you know, they were into it. And then they're, they're watching the euros during the day and asking me questions. And, you know, my older nephew texted me, uh, you know, after we got, gotten back here, he's like, Oh, did you see this game? And like, that's the type of stuff we want to promote and, and continue to, to, to reinforce um, because I think it's going to help not just coaches, but young players, see the game at a higher level by watching it so how important is it that we not only watch the games on tv but we also watch like the semi-pro games that are local to us oh like super very important right i mean if you have soccer that's local that you can go watch in person you should do it 
And, you know, that's, I've, I've been to, I've only been to one menace game this year. And part of that is just the timing of everything. And, um, but I plan to go to a couple more. I mean, it's in my backyard. I drive, I can drive five minutes from my house and get to the stadium that they play at. Right. So there's, there's no excuse not to a and B it's local. So I should try to support it as much as I can. Um, you know, I, I, I try to go to a couple of Drake games, um, during the year. I've been, you know, to one or two Grandview games over the years. Um, I went to a Simpson men's uh, soccer game this last spring, which was really fun because there was a lot of kids that were playing on the field that I knew. And at some point, maybe either coach or, you know, they'd been part of uh, an environment I was in. And and that's really cool to see as well. Um, But, you know, the more that there are local opportunities that we can support, um, I think that also helps young players, um, you know, have something to kind of relate to more. you know, like our nearest men's and women's, I believe, professional teams are in Kansas City, and that's three hours away. And that's, I mean, that's a, that's a haul to go watch them day in, day out. But if you have something in your backyard that you can just go to and you can be there more than once a year, more than just one special occasion, then I think you should do it. And, and that's, you know, lower division soccer in the U.S., uh, you know, first of all, on the women's side, is just not very established or supported. And on the men's side, it's, it's like the wild west, you know, you have clubs like I'll use Des Moines Wanderers, for example, you know, we, we started in, I think it was 2018. We had two seasons, basically two summer seasons. They were pretty successful. And then COVID hit and we figured out like, we just don't really have the means to, to continue, you know, continue supporting ourselves. And so now we're pretty much done at least for the foreseeable future. And it's a revolving door, right? So while they're there, you know, take advantage of it, right? And go watch and support. Can you talk a little bit about how the Des Moines Wanderers came about in the first place? Yeah. So, you know, there's a couple different things. Um, I've, I've always really had this, well, let, let me backtrack. So when I was in Wisconsin, I coached at a club called Bavarian Soccer Club. Um, they were founded in 1929 by German, uh, immigrants to America. Right. And, you know, when they got there in 1929, they wanted to bring a piece of their homelands with them. And one of the big, uh, sort of, uh, hallmarks of of European culture, um, not just soccer, but social culture is they have sport clubs, um, you know, around every little small town has, you know, a sport club and it's not just soccer. It's, you know, it could be handball or, you know, uh, basketball or, uh, you know, dance club or this or that. It's a social thing, right? It's a big part of the community. And so, you know, I think when Bavarians uh, started, um, that's that was the intent, right? <clears throat> By the time I got to Wisconsin in 2012, you know, that was, it, it changed a little bit. They still had the old sort of German, um, Germans or German Americans that would come around and do different things and have different activities. But for the most part, it was, it was pretty much a youth soccer club. But they also had a men's first team um, and a reserve team, which I played for for, I don't know, 10 games maybe um, on a bad knee. So I'd play about 10 minutes a half and then sit on the bench, and I just loved it. Um, but they have this, this, and this, this men's team that, you know, I'd be coaching a U13 boys team, and immediately after, the men are walking onto the pitch and training, and those kids are like, whoa, this is, this is cool. Um, they also have a women's team now, by the way. Um, 
and I think that's been pretty cool. They've had some good good results in the last uh, couple weeks. Uh, I think this is kind of their first real season. They were so, supposed to start last year, but COVID derailed that. So I I felt it was important to have some sort of accessible, uh, tangible pipeline, you know, after kids hit U19 and were done, right? We had a lot of kids that would come back in the summer um, and like, well, what do we do? Are we going to play pickup soccer? Where are we going to play? You know, I'd say 99% or maybe even fewer of those kids who are from here who come back and are playing college soccer at a decent level, you know, Division three somewhere, um, they're they're not it's not like they're going to go walk into the menace uh into their you know first team right and so we wanted to provide something to kind of bridge the gap um almost like a you know lower level team that kids could come and play for and be proud of um you know there none of the clubs here have really done that i think iowa rush um did like a summer training program but what we envisioned was um you know, almost like a, a club to provide the opportunity for the players that, you know, the menace wasn't looking at seriously. Um, the landscape has changed. I, I know in 2005, the menace won the national championship and there were a bunch of local kids on that roster on the field when they won. It's changed because of the developmental Academy. It's changed because of, you know, a couple other factors, but that was sort of the vision. My vision was, you know, I wanted to, to provide that for those kids. You know, I was working at sporting Iowa and, there were kids that had aged out and they came back and they weren't doing anything. So um, it was also a good way for me. It was kind of a cathartic um, project, you know, where I felt like I had sort of more autonomy and more control over, over the direction, uh, which at the time I I didn't feel like I had in any other soccer aspect of my life, Um, which has changed now that I'm, I'm at the one soccer club a little bit, but that was kind of the, the idea behind it. You know, providing those opportunities. And we had talked about doing a women's team as well um, before we, we folded, but ultimately we, we couldn't pull it off. How rewarding is it to see players that you coached at the club level or the high school level go on to play collegiately or play with the menace? Um, well, you know, I don't think any of the kids I've coached have ever played for the menace. Um, <clears throat> we did it was either my first or second season at Roosevelt. Um, we had a couple kids that uh, were menace Academy kids, you know, so they played for the menace youth team when that still existed. And the menace had a, uh, an exhibition match against uh, bug eaters from Nebraska. And those kids were asked to, to be in the, you know, the match day squad, right. So sit on the bench. And um, I went to the games hoping that one of them would get on the field. Uh, it was, I believe it was Luke Whitman, um, Christian Tavera and then Baraka Ellie were the three kids and uh, the menace it didn't go as planned for them they actually ended up losing 2-0 which meant that those guys warmed up for about half an hour in the second half and then never got in the field so I was a little disappointed by that because um, you know it would have been cool but also it's a good opportunity to give local kids some exposure and it didn't happen um, would it have happened had they been winning 5-0 I don't know um, but it, it is very rewarding. Like I said, I went to a Simpson game this spring and there were a bunch of kids on the field that I knew and I'd seen play and perhaps coached at some level. Um, it's, it's rewarding, but what's really reward, rewarding to me is uh, A, watching kids still play at any level. B, now I'm starting to see kids uh, that want to coach, right? So it's kids that have 
that I've coached or, you know, been a part of the club that I've coached for who are now coaching themselves, which is awesome. Uh, and then, you know, the last thing is um, this spring at Roosevelt, uh, we trained at Alibur Soccer Complex, which is uh, on 63rd and Grand in, in Des Moines. And we had, I want to say, five or six or maybe seven uh, alumni at some point throughout the season when we were training um, just drop in on practice. And, you know, I was like, this is cool. You want to you see our team? You want to see us again? You know, um, so it comes down to some of those relationships that you form, I think. Um, you know, like coaches aren't always well-liked by every player and they have to make hard decisions. But when you, when you see a kid that you've coached in the past and they're genuinely excited to see you, that, that makes me happy um, because it means, well, A, maybe I did something right. And, and B, it's, you know, you're, you're starting to have these long-term relationships and you're watching kids go from kids to adults. And I just, that's rewarding. That's cool. You know, and I've never been in one place long enough to see that until now. I mean, I've lived here for, five and a half years. Uh, Milwaukee was three and a half. Southern California was three. Uh, Davis, I left before, you know, any of those kids got old. So, um, yeah. How can we help younger players or even players that are just kind of aging out of club realize that coaching is an opportunity? Well, I, I think one of the things that, um, that clubs can do um, is, is start to get those older high school age players involved at the younger ages. <clears throat> so whether that's as an assistant, you know, um, maybe some of our high school kids can help with the academy or help on weekends with the rec ages. You know, we've had some kids that, that ref, right? And refing is easy because, you know, it's not easy, but it's, it's an easier way to get involved because there's the incentive of getting paid, and you can start when you're younger. I believe it's 13 when you can start refing. Whereas coaching, I think, I think the oldest or the youngest you can be in, and still get like a license is 16 um, to do your grassroots. But um, I, I think if clubs do it right, they can start to identify uh, players that are still playing that maybe have some of the tools that will help them become successful as coaches. Um, and that's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. Logistically, it's been difficult to, to, to find out. Most of the kids that come out and, and start coaching tend to be like more college age kids uh, as opposed to high school kids. And I know you've, I mean, you've coached your brother, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's, I, I coached my brother. So we're kind of in the same club there, right? And, um, and that's, that could be a good opportunity too. If there's an older sibling who wants to come help out with a practice for the younger sibling, uh, it's easy because perhaps the parent is already taking the younger one there, or maybe even the parent is involved as a coach. And then, you know, the, the, the older player can, or the older sibling can, you know, can, can be kind of an assistant. And that's, I mean, that's kind of how I started really. So um, I, I think just being creative and, and then also making it easy, right. Making it accessible. You know, if the grassroots courses are free, <clears throat> ask those kids if they want to do it you know, promote it to those kids. Um, you know, if you're not going to be able to pay kids, you can maybe get volunteer hours uh, for them by doing those, those same things. So 
and, and a lot of times kids will need volunteer hours in high school and or for various applications or extracurricular things so yeah a while back, all the way in the beginning, you talked about how you went through a patch where you weren't really enjoying soccer, and that's definitely a patch I went through as well. Can you talk about how you were kind of feeling during this time? Just that it, it was, soccer used to be something I was so excited to do and to be around, right? And I knew something wasn't right when <clears throat> I, I had feelings of almost like dread, when I had to go coach or when I had to go into the environment I was working in a lot of anxiety, um, just not, not positive feelings. And, you know, it became clear to me at some point that I needed to make a change if I wanted to continue doing what I loved. Right. In the beginning, the change was, let me see if I can find a different job. And, you know, I've, there maybe been three times I've said that, you know, in, I don't know, however many years, 16 years or so of coaching, 18 years, I don't know how long it's been. Um, and each time it was the wrong decision to say, walk away from the game. Right. And, you know, I mentioned that to my wife and she's like, you wouldn't be happy. What else are you going to do? So I knew I had to find something that would make me enjoy the game again. And before COVID, the answer was really easy. Um, Sean Holmes, who uh, is, who was the head coach at Roosevelt High School um, from 2000, I guess he was, yeah, 2017, he was the head coach. He hired me, um, and then he left after the 2019 season to take a job, a college job um, up in Minnesota with St. Cloud State, and Roosevelt was going to need a head coach, and I was really excited to to have that opportunity, and that's what I decided I wanted to do, so I ended up leaving the club job um, I was at, and it, it was the right time to go. Um, and I was, you know, diving in deep to Roosevelt stuff, and then everything shut down. And, you know, it was really hard last spring. I had nothing going on. This was before Des Moines Soccer Club. Uh, I was just trying to make the most of, for the Roosevelt kids. You know, we had a lot of seniors that didn't get to play in their senior year. Um, and I felt it was, I mean, it was really hard. It was hard for them. It was hard for me. It was hard for the, even the kids that still had time left. Um, but it, it did give me a sense of purpose. I think even, even during COVID um, we did a lot of uh, social media stuff. We tried to, instead of a senior night, which we couldn't have, we tried to profile each one of our seniors on social media. Um, there was a while where we were having like everybody else on social media we were having kids send in videos of, of themselves doing, you know, something with a soccer ball and we were posting stuff like that. Um, we, we did sort of a campaign, uh, co, co, you know, managed or co uh, created by the, the girls soccer program to put yard signs in, in players yards, um, kind of like a sneaky, uh, gorilla operation where they didn't know about it. until we messaged them afterward and, I think, I think that brought some joy to some kids um, as well. Um, you know, so it, there was still, there was still work to be done and it was rewarding, even if it wasn't on the field and it didn't have you know, much to do with soccer. Um, and then, you know, the Des Moines soccer club thing came around and, you know, I had the opportunity first to start the academy program from scratch, which meant I could, 
you know, set it up how I wanted to do, how I thought was best based on my experience. And I thought it's been, it's been pretty successful. Um, and then, you know, now being the club director, um, I'm able to have more influence on, on different things. And, you know, as far as I can tell, it's, we've been pretty successful in creating opportunities for kids to play. Um, you know, we're currently partnering with the Des Moines Refugee Group uh, to, to provide opportunities and, and financial assistance for um, 31 or 32 refugee kids from all around the world um, who may, may otherwise not have had the opportunity to play. And that's, that's rewarding in itself. Um, you know, just seeing some of these kids, the, the looks on their faces as they come out to play. I mean, it's, it, again, it's, it's the world's game, right? So it, this kid may not speak great English, but you can tell that he really enjoys being out there. And, uh, and that to me is more important than anything else, you know, any state championship or, you know, national tournaments or this or that, you know, that stuff doesn't matter to me. It, what matters is getting kids on the field and allowing them to experience the game. How important and impactful was this past high school season after not getting a season last year? Um, it felt, it felt really important. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the kids had, had had successful fall club seasons. Um, so there was, there was a, there was a larger comfort level with getting out there and, participating in team activities. Um, you know, we had a number of kids that were, that were primarily online and it, it almost felt like this was one of the only opportunities for them to socialize. Um, and I, I think, I, I think that was really positive for them. Um, you know, we, it, it, by the end, it felt almost normal in the beginning, it started slow, right. And in January, you know, December, January, we were thinking, you know, kids were asking me when are we going to do open gyms, right? And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, a bunch of kids in a confined space, um, no vaccine yet. Um, you know, how, how are we going to do this? Um, we, we took a lot of measures in the winter, uh, limiting our numbers, mandatory masks, um, you know, daily check-ins, stuff like that, taking attendance, um, you know, tracking, uh, tracking, you know, who, who was there and who wasn't in case you had an issue. Um, and, you know, we started to feel more comfortable and then getting outside was great. You know, it was great to just be outside. And, you know, the first game that we had, it was like, it was amazing. I mean, we missed it, right. All these kids missed it. And, you know, we, we lost the game. We played Waukee, who was arguably the best team on the boys side in the state, um, you know, at three, a for, you know, the entire season. And, um, but just seeing the kids get excited for that opportunity, uh, was awesome. And, and by the end of the season, you know, we had, you know, I was vaccinated. My whole coaching staff was vaccinated. We had, um, you know, a bunch of our kids were starting to get vaccines. You know, the hard part was during season, you know, we had kids say, Oh, I got my second shot today. I don't know how I'm going to be feeling. And we had a couple games where kids didn't play as much because they were, they were, you know, suffering some of the after effects from that. And, um, but, you know, we had senior night was awesome. Um, you know, really rewarding to see some of these kids that, you know, I met as freshmen, uh, walk, you know, walk up and then our, you know, I thought our banquet was, was successful as well. And, and everyone seemed to really enjoy the experience and it was, it was great. You know, we didn't win any tournaments or, you know, go to state, 
you know, we did win our conference. That was cool. But, um, but, but, you know, the high school soccer piece is so important in, in Iowa, you know, and we had a lot of kids that came out to support us. And, um, you know, I met a lot of kids that I really, really like um, who are new to our program as well. So. I think this is a great place to start to wrap up. I have one final question, which I ask each guest. What do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer and the world? Well, I don't, I'm not under any sort of uh, false ideas that I'm going to have an impact on the world, but um, I think I can impact um, my community in a positive way. And, um, you know, I, I hope that, well, I, I don't know if I want to be recognized for any of the stuff I'm doing necessarily. I, I think I'm just trying to do what I feel is right. Um, at the end of the day, I want, I would want people to remember me as someone who tried to do what was right and what was important. And that's, you know, creating opportunities for kids to play and <clears throat> trying to find a way to reach more kids and to get more kids in the game and keep them in the game. Um, you know, the, the worst feeling, uh, ever, and I've had this feeling and, you know, as, as I've grown as a coach, I've, I've tried to change how I do things because you don't want that feeling. But the worst feeling is when you're someone's last coach. And what, what I mean by that is not, you know, not that they've aged out, but you know, that, that you've, you've been the last experience that someone has and they don't want to play soccer anymore. Right. And sometimes, sometimes that happens and it's not, it's not the coach's fault necessarily. Kids have other activities or they decide to focus on, you know, one thing over soccer and that's totally fine. But there are times where as a coach, we could have been better. I could have been better. And, um, you know, it, 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 like anything, if you don't take time to reflect on what you do, um, and, and, but on, on an honest reflection, right. Not skimming over it and thinking, okay, no, we're fine. No, I, in that moment, maybe I should have treated this person differently, or maybe I should have been more understanding, or maybe I should have um, provided a better environment or shut my mouth or taken a deep breath and taken a step back. You know, if you don't have those reflective moments, then you're not going to grow as a, as a coach, but more importantly, you're not going to grow as a person. And, you know, I think that's, that's what I want to try to also be remembered for as well. Like, Everyone has flaws, but who actively takes the time to work on those flaws and improve them? And that's, that's what I've tried to do. And even if I'm not successful, I want, I hope it comes across that I've, I've made the attempt as much as I possibly can. So. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate it. And uh, this has been a fun experience chatting with you and, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how your career as a as a goalkeeper progresses. You had a, a good uh, season this year, right? It's Marion, right? Marion. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I uh, that was really cool to see. Uh, it's good that you had that experience as well. Thank you. Throughout the whole podcast, we talked so much about growing and teaching others, and that's something Matt is so prominent on, and how important it is that we fuel every coach and every player with what they need to succeed. Grassroots soccer is so important and we need to keep developing that. 
And we also need to keep developing other clubs and teams that are maybe underserved, like the Des Moines Wonders. I know they aren't up and running anymore, but when they were, when they had people come to their games, that was very, very helpful. So if you have a local club around you, I really encourage you to go check out the club. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. And until next time, remember to keep the game beautiful. Thank you.